It's time to talk about all things clarinet here next on the Musician Toolkit. Ready, everybody, 103? One, two, three. Good, let me fix this real quick. So clarinets, when you're playing soft, I want you to shape more of an O shape. Ooh, I want you to think ooh, cause right now you're ah. Okay, it's kind of like you're playing the note. Sounds fine, but it can be a little bit more round and a little bit more rich, even though you're playing soft. So. Ooh, ooh. Okay, so let's 103 one more time. This is a sample of today's guest at work. Kania Mills is working with another group of clarinets as a section leader. She is going to introduce us to the clarinet, how to get started, how to take care of it, what are the challenges, and what is some of the repertoire. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Musician Toolkit. I am David Lane, your host, and it is great to be with you once again. As I said at the beginning of this episode, this is the first of what I think will be an ongoing series that will happen at least, I think, twice, probably no more than four times a year, where we spotlight specific instruments. As I've said before, two of the tools in the Musician Toolkit are that you master one instrument really well and that you at least have experience with other instruments. So one way or the other, that could very likely include the clarinet. And the clarinet is actually a family of instruments that we're going to talk about. There's a lot more than one. I think if you say the clarinet, there is a specific one that we're likely to be mentioning. But with so many instruments making up one family, I definitely needed an expert on the instrument to chat with me about that today. And my guest today is Kania Mills. She is a very active performer playing in the Piedmont Triad area of North Carolina in the Salem Band, the Salem Swing Band, the Piedmont Wind Symphony, as well as occasionally with other orchestras and other chamber ensembles, and also as a featured soloist. She teaches woodwinds at Livingstone College and at Catawba College. So what I'm going to be chatting about on all of these instrument spotlights is having a guest such as Kania, who is going to talk about some unique things about the instrument, how you might get started, like finding an instrument, uh, what, you, what you need besides the instrument. In this case, we're going to be talking about reeds and how you maintain the instrument and what are some of the challenges that you can expect? What are some ways that you can overcome it? What is some of the repertoire? So these instrumental spotlights are also not just for performers, but it's also for you composers and you arrangers uh, to learn a little bit about the instrument from someone who plays it and can even tell you some traps, you know, that you have to watch out for. So this was a, a long and fun interview. We, we have some music examples throughout because we chat about a lot of music that involves a variety of clarinets because, we, as we mentioned, there's not just one. So let's jump in. Here is my conversation with Kania Mills. So it's my pleasure today to be talking to Kania. Kania, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. Happy to be here. And um, for, for those who know this podcast and happen to know my other one, Life in the Pit, you were a guest on that as well. And if I'd done my homework ahead of time, I could have 
I could have said what number it was. It's one of the first 20, I think, uh, 20 yeah. something podcast. And I would actually encourage going to check that out because in that podcast, we talked quite a bit about you personally in your career and so forth. And whereas today, you know, we'll talk a little bit about that. But we're going to be mostly talking about your expertise in, in that being the clarinet. So I guess just briefly remind us, uh, tell us what it is that you do. Um, I am, of course, from the previous podcast, I'm a multi-instrumentalist, but my main focus was definitely the clarinet. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so um, I pulled it out just for this one. <laughs> right. <laughs> just so people knows that this is, this is my uh, master's degree. This is what I... I got a master's degree in performance on at UNCSA. So, and for those people that don't know what UNCSA is, it's University of North Carolina School of the Arts. So, um, yes, uh, I am a clarinetist, really. (laughs) I just so happen to play others. Right. (laughs) Always good to know what each instrument calls their players. Like, is it flutist or flautist, you know? (laughs) Is it clarinetter? <laughs> I've never heard that, but no, clarinetist. <laughs> I've had some young people say that. I'm a clarinetter. And like, yeah. no. <laughs> well, that really that. Comes in like trumpeter, trumpetist. I've heard both before. <laughs> um, so just a little background for for both you and the listeners. Um, there's a lot of goals that I want to have for this podcast, but some of them center around, I mean, they all center around certain of the tools that I recommend and to me i have two things that i recommend about playing instruments one is that you should have at least one instrument that you master and you know there are a lot of people that might be really good at more than one but very often they focused on one at a time they really gave their attention to one then they maintain that while they put more attention into another but then the other thing is is you know whether whether or not you become a clarinetist as as your main thing that you play it is something that you could consider as a secondary instrument and it's something that obviously a great time to pick it up is when you're in middle school and you have the opportunity <laughs> to band. Uh, but people pick up instruments all the time in life my my wife you know was in her 30s when she took up harp and you know took private lessons and has done pretty well with that and so i what i want to do about once every I think in my mind, every four months or so in this podcast, I want to have an instrumental spotlight where we talk about either an instrument or a family of instruments. In this case, I thought we'd talk about the clarinet family because most people who play clarinet at least pretty well don't just play what we call the B-flat clarinet, but they they gravitate towards some of the other in that family. So let's just talk about the family of clarinets, what kind of sizes and how are they keyed? And I'll, and I'll give an overview on transposition as well. <laughs> yes. Um, there are a number of clarinets, but I'm probably going to stay focused on the main ones that we all see all the time. Right. Um, the family can get absolutely huge <laughs> for clarinets. So, um, but yes, this is actually the B-flat clarinet. This is the main clarinet that all youngsters as we i call them start out on so um there is also the a clarinet now oftentimes once you get 
on a more serious level of clarinet playing, you will eventually have to purchase an A clarinet just because there's a larger repertoire that involves that. And um, there's the E flat clarinet, which we call the little baby or <laughs> what we our version of a piccolo, we call it is also has a name called the piccolo clarinet. Right. And it's very, very can get really up there in yeah. the range is what my friends like to my friends and I like to call it up in the range because it can get really high. Right. And then there's the bass clarinet, um, which of course is the low. And then you have the contra bass clarinet, which is basically like the grandfather of all clarinets. Right. <laughs> so um those are the main instruments that you see being played in orchestras and in bands, especially in bands. Um, so, uh, just the range alone. Yes, they are. They are in different keys. Um, I'm pretty sure that has to do with size and, um, the length of the clarinet. So when you play the B flat clarinet and then you pick up an A, you'll notice that the finger stretches a little bit more, uh, E flat, you're really close together and bass clarinet, you're really stretched out and contra bass, you know, you just try not to break your fingers when reaching the low notes <laughs> yes. this is pretty much of a pinky stretch so um those are the main clarinets that you see in ensembles right there are a number of similarities between clarinet the clarinet family and the saxophone family starting with the fact that they they both have a single reed as opposed to a flute which doesn't have a reed at all and oboe and bassoon which has double reeds but they also seem to for the most part, follow a hierarchy of B flat and E flat in that like the highest, the highest clarinet that I know of the soprano is an E flat clarinet. And then, Mm -hmm. and it's one of the few instruments that you actually transpose up to if you're trying to play it, I believe. (laughs) Whereas all the others are kind of going down from concert pitch. Um, So what we're, what we're talking about, the main clarinet is a B flat clarinet, as you mentioned. And then, I guess there's an alto clarinet E flat and then or something. Yes, there's an E flat alto clarinet. There's um oddly enough, like bass clarinet E flat. Bass clarinet normally is in B flat. Um I hope that stays like that. Um (laughs) nobody throws any surprises at us. Well, and Um, the the other thing, this is a neat thing about to as a composer, I'll interject a few things, observations. Um, about saxophone and clarinet is no matter how low the instruments go and the contrabass goes very low, you never you never break out bass clef. It's all written in treble clef so that like what feels like a middle C, it, you know, is still written as a middle C, even though like it's what about two octaves? Yeah, <laughs> something it sounds, lower. <laughs> it sounds lower. Yes, and I'm glad you pointed that out because I have actually run into that issue with composers. They're like, "Oh, it's a bass clarinet. Write it in bass clef." Like, no, I still read in treble clef. The instrument itself is going to sound where you want it. You know. So yeah, I'm glad you said that. The <laughs> <laughs> um, the contrabass clarinet probably like the contrabassoon. I mean, even. Even more than the contrabassoon, I don't think it's played that often. There, there's only a couple of film scores that come to mind 
The first time I ever heard it was the, the film score for Interview with a Vampire. That's the Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt film, not any recent yeah. series. <laughs> I heard that in the theater. I was like, what is that? And then there's a there's a great underrated film score from more recently for the movie Sicario, and very very interesting. There's a cue the the string bass is used in a melodic way, and then at the very end, contrabass clarinet comes in and takes the melody and yeah. down probably to the bottom of the range is is just really resonant, incredible. Like the E flat clarinet, of course, you'll know that when you hear it because it's just very piercing. <laughs> yeah, it's it says hello, how are you doing? I'm the E flat clarinet. Yes, and and um, you know, mainly uh, the the E flat clarinet, it's basically it gives a certain color to the woodwind section in regular band or or what we call concert band or wind ensemble. Um, it, it does stick out but there's also a certain type of control that you have to have when playing E flat clarinet. You can just play loud, but you, you it's a certain type of training where you have to realize like, okay, I actually can play soft if I need to. It hurts. Don't get me. Because <laughs> 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 you get the one conductor's like, shh, too much E flat clarinet and you're like I'm on a high G above the staff like so many ledger lines I can't you know <laughs> you do your best to have a little bit of control over your playing and your tuning because most of the time what a lot of people don't realize the E flat clarinet player is normally playing with the flutes and the piccolo mm -hmm. so <laughs> you know there's that tuning and the the air control that you have to have when playing E flat so I I want to do uh, ask a question based on one of the overviews. I'm sorry, one of the things that you mentioned in the overview, and that's the B flat clarinet and the A clarinet. So this is something as a composer I've never understood, but that, like they're about a step apart, right, in terms of concert pitch and so forth. It's like like if you play if you play a C, it sounds like a B flat on one. If you play a C on the A clarinet, it sounds like the A below, if I'm not mistaken. What what is the difference? I mean, why why is do you have the B flat and A clarinet? What is the real difference between them? Um, the one thing about A clarinet that a lot of people don't know is it does take away bad key signatures mm. because it's in the key of A. So, for example, if I was going to play the Mozart concerto yeah. on the B flat clarinet, ah. terrible key. Okay. And plus Easy, it's right? like, yeah, it's just really bad. Okay. And there are, you know, there are people that have written it because, you know, high schoolers play it and, you know, for it to be in the correct key, right. they have to play in all those sharps. 
Yeah. Now, naturally, the orchestra is the in A mm -hmm. in that piece. But because the clarinet is already itself in the key of A, it puts us in C. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to worry about any sharps. Yep. So um, that's also the case when it comes to orchestral works. Uh, the clarinet player will switch clarinets in the middle of the piece and it still keeps the keys playable. Not like it wouldn't be playable if we didn't have like seven sharps, but if we switch to A, then it's going to at least eliminate three of those sharps. Right. So um, it actually does help um, that even your neighborhood orchestra, when um, I had to improv on a piece and I was like, we're not, can you write that for a clarinet? And she did, you know, <laughs> because it was like, right. I cannot, I'm not going to improv in this key, you know? So it, it does help having two clarinets, but then, like I said, on a more professional level, or if you are really serious about clarinet playing, you will eventually buy an a clarinet. And, right. um, it helps. It, it does help. And a lot of music is written. Sometimes the A clarinet has a different timbre because it does. It actually sounds lower in the lower register. So instead of putting it like on a bass clarinet or a basset horn, you know, they just go ahead and say, OK, for A clarinet. And they write down in the low register and it sounds really nice and rich. Mm -hmm. And um, so sometimes it's a color thing. Mm -hmm. But most of the time is a key signature thing. <laughs> right. So, so. Um, uh, another another composer interjection here for anybody wanting to write out there. What what we're just what we're saying about this as far as keys go, if the instrument is a B flat instrument, your concert key signature will add two sharps or take away two flats for their part. If you're playing an an a instrument or actually if you're playing if you're playing an e flat instrument you're adding three sharps <laughs> or taking away three flats but an a it's the reverse you're going to be adding three flats or taking away three sharps so like if uh if we're playing an a flat major don't get out the a clarinet <laughs> yeah that's be much better <laughs> that's not that's not a smart choice <laughs> it's like go ahead and fix. not unless you just want to torture yourself <laughs> Right. Yes. There's so many orders that we could go through all of this, but we talked about the clarinet family. But again, this is for the idea that anybody listening could be getting started from scratch. Where do you go find a clarinet? What are you looking for? And, and where's some places to at least get something kind of inexpensive to get started? Um. So a lot of people, this is, this is what's tricky. So when you're getting started, um, not unless you figure... And this is always my advice to the parents yeah. for beginners. Um, and even if you want to begin playing clarinet and you're looking for something, don't go on Amazon. <laughs> okay. And be like, oh, this clarinet's $200 and just buy a full clarinet for $200. Odds are it's not a good clarinet um mainly because they're just throwing these instruments together and selling them okay so when it comes to looking for a horn i would rather my students go or people that i talk to that are looking go to a music store mm -hmm. and rent one first yeah 
just to see if you are going to enjoy it mm-hmm. and like it. So it's easier to rent something for maybe a few months, get used to it. And then a lot of those places will say, okay, you can rent to own this. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time I leaned buyers, if they're serious or if they know that their child wants to play it, um, beginner buffets, they started a beginner line. They're good to work with buffet is what I have all of my clarinets are buffet Mm -hmm. so um another good starter horn is Bakun which Mm -hmm. is a new I wouldn't say new clarinet company but they're coming up they're they're really coming up a lot of people are becoming Bakun artists and you know really uh, getting sponsored by them by owning their instruments um another good starter would be Selmer um, that's a good uh, instrument. And of course, everybody knows Yamaha. Right. So these are the names that I prefer mm-hmm. when it comes to a beginning clarinet player or someone starting out. Reason why is if you get a, I don't want to say crappy, <laughs> <laughs> but if you get a instrument online for $200, yeah, number one is going to break. Number two, it's not built by professional hands that really kind of know what they're doing. It's mm-hmm. just like, you know, company going, oh, put these keys on this plastic and go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, and also that also makes it difficult for if something happens to the horn, if you take it back to the music, if you take it to a music repair place, they're going to be like, we don't really have the parts for this. So um, the sizes are an issue when it comes to repair and all this stuff. And it's really difficult for people that repair instruments to have an unnamed brand (laughs) and try to find parts to fit it. So that's um, most of when that's when it comes to buying a a horn. So I always say beginner students rent first, then buy later. Right. And talking about Amazon, we there is a there's an owner of a local music store that likes to say, beware of ISOs, instrument shaped objects. <laughs> right. So it sounds like that's what we're watching out for. Now, just to clarify, uh, f- until further notice, we're talking about, you know, again, what would be called the main clarinet, the B flat clarinet. So uh, it, I I don't. I've never heard of a teacher that would say, eh, you should start on the bass clarinet or you should start on another one. It's, it's always this one as your, as your first one, right? Yes. And there, there's only one time, and this is funny. One time there was a student, she was so tiny. She really wanted to play clarinet. And I started her on E flat clarinet. Now, I normally don't do that, but <laughs> she really, her fingers were so tiny. She was just tiny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I started on E flat clarinet. Then she kind of grew a little bit. And then I was like, okay, now let's try B flat. And she was really, really young. She wasn't even, I don't even think in fifth grade yet, right. but she wanted to play the clarinet. Like she knew what she wanted to play. And uh, as she got older and got into middle school, by the time I put her on B flat, and I said, okay, I think she's big enough that she can cover the holes. Mm-hmm. Oh, she was a beast. <laughs> mm-hmm. She scared me. Like, actually, it was like, okay, I don't, 
well, we don't have to worry about your airflow at all, you know, because <laughs> so much pressure when you play E flat. But that's probably the one and only time I ever did that. But no, you do not start. I would never start a student out normally. That was just a special thing that happened. But yes, B flat is where you start and start your technique, your tone and all that. Right. Now, um, I'll, I'll say this going forward. I uh, Four years of classes in undergrad and in my music courses, I made all A's except for two classes in which I got a B. The last one, I don't really count because it was just, I, I took one too many my senior year, had a senior recital coming up and it was something I'd done before and I just wasn't giving them much attention. But my freshman year, first semester, in fact, I think it was the first class that I took as a college student it was called clarinet methods. <laughs> yeah. And I think I did okay by the end, I, but it was not good enough to do more than a B. It was like, and so <clears throat> my biggest issue, I think my first issue was as a brass player. So this is maybe some interesting perspective is uh, especially a French horn player at the time, trying to put too much pressure on making the sound and it's like so i had to relax my embouchure enough to allow the reed to vibrate so you know we haven't really talked about like what goes with the clarinet besides the instrument but obviously one of them is the reed and you know we'll talk in a moment about like taking care of that get you know taking care of your reed and getting you know choosing reeds and all that but one of the the other big things that, that took me forever and I, I think i only had like ever maybe ever one week at a time <laughs> where this wasn't a problem is that squeaking it's so easy to squeak the notes and it just and it seems like in my observation it takes the average player a long time to get over that you know i, I mean i hear it in players have been playing even for two three four years that you know if if they play a whole concert you might hear a squeak here and there you know it's yeah <laughs> but uh the other thing that I, that i think that I observed is that, uh, and, and something that I find really weird about it, but there's half steps on the clarinet that are more difficult than like going up a fifth or something like that. It's right. There are breaks, what they call breaks, if I'm understanding correctly, like you're going from one register to another. So what are some of the, as you're, as a teacher, what are the most common challenges of learning the instrument? Um, a lot of, a lot of things that, um, and this is going to sound really interesting and this is mainly just because of how I teach. Right. And I think that I have had a pretty successful studio, mainly just from the way that I watched Bob Listoken, my teacher mm -hmm. that I first had in college and my other teacher, uh, Igor Begelman that I studied with, I don't push a student for what I know they should sound like. Right. I study the student mm -hmm. and I figure out what their shortcomings are when playing an instrument. Yeah. So um, I get called in a lot to work with middle school and people would be like, can you come fix my clarinet section? You know, I'm like, I'm on the way. Um, so like a clarinet uh, super 
superhero. I try to be, <laughs> I try to be that superhero, but just in general, um, a lot of clarinet players want to say, okay, you must play the clarinet this way. Okay. Well, if this student has braces, they can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll be like, hold your embouchure this way. If this stu- student has an underbite or an overbite, they can't do that. Right. So, I studied the student and it's mainly like the facial structure. Now I know that there's a certain way where we like, okay, uh, you know, I have the students go eh like this. Now, however, their mouth goes eh. Mm-hmm. I had them stick the clarinet in mm-hmm. and then shape like a rubber band around the mouthpiece. Right. So if I go eh, mm. and that's just so I make sure that they have enough mouthpiece in their mouth. Right. A lot of times, the common mistake that I see is they're this close to the tip of the reed. Mm-hmm. Now, because we have to stick it in our mouth, if we're too close, mm-hmm. we're literally closing the reed up against the mouthpiece, which is not allowing the air to get in, which yeah. causes squeaks. Right. <laughs> okay. So you're too you you don't have enough mouthpiece in. So I always say where the reed and the mouthpiece meet. If you turn the clarinet sideways, you can see straight through to the other side but where that cuts off is normally as much mouthpiece as i want a beginner clarinet player to have in their mouth so um i i I do teach very small things that are helpful to clarinet sections when i go to middle school and um the other challenge which is the challenge for all wind players and doesn't even matter if you're brass or woodwind or whatever is the tonguing yeah (laughs) the that's the other difficulty so once i've you know helped them and i always do long tones okay we're gonna do long tones plenty of them i might drive you crazy with them but i'm trying to get you to have a tone in your to to your sound not just i'm blowing loud notes on the clarinet yay okay (laughs) you know that's what i'm trying to get away from with middle schoolers and try to get them to automatically have a controlled tone at a young age right so the longer the tone eight beats 12 beats sometimes i torture them 16 beats i try to get them you know do a competition how how long can you hold it out period but keep it sounding pretty don't mm-hmm. let your tone spread so um i do that and then i try to incorporate the tone right so and I know that probably a lot of clarinet players are going to be like, you got to be kidding me when I say this next thing. (laughs) (laughs) And some of them might hate me, (laughs) but there is tricks to getting clarinet players and saxophone players to tone and sound clean. Mm. I'm always focused on how clean does your tongue sound and does it sound easy? Mm-hmm. It shouldn't sound like you're laboring, basically. So, and a lot of people look at me crazy when I say this. And you're probably going to look at me weird too. Okay. <laughs> I do not touch the reed when I tongue. Mm. Because I did like a little science project with one of my friends that went to a whole uh, a different Uh, university and they wanted to study how the the instrumentalist tone so i grabbed up a couple of my friends a flute player clarinet player saxophone player and they did like kind of a see-through x-ray and it looks so weird 
by the way, <laughs> of how the tongue was working as we blew air. Mm-hmm. My tongue was labeled physically too short to reach the reed. And I'm like, how is that a thing? You know, but what I do is I actually tongue like a brass player. So mm-hmm. when I'm tonguing, I'm actually hitting kind of the roof of my mouth. Right. Kind of behind my teeth. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how I developed that. But then when I got a te- uh, my first private teacher in high school, mm-hmm. I was called an anchor tonguer. Right. So it, I was like, I don't know what that is. I just know I'm doing these articulations right. <laughs> right. So, but when I'm teaching tonguing, I actually really do teach them to touch the reed if they're able. Now, if I notice that it continues to be a problem, then I'll teach the other way. Right. And then normally that cleans it up like that. But the, what I try to do is I get them to put their finger to their lips Mm -hmm. and I make them bring their tongue out of their mouth because Mm -hmm. doing that is an issue. Yeah. Because it's not something physically that we, you know, would do on a daily basis if we didn't play an instrument. Right. <laughs> you know, you're not just going to walk around doing that all day. Not unless you secretly want to be a snake in your yeah. in your life somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the, the problem is bringing the tongue out of the mouth to yeah. tongue. Because, be, because we have to stick the horn in our mouths, naturally our tongue gets pushed back. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes it difficult. And the length of time that you hit the reed, and I always use this as an example when I'm teaching, meaning it shouldn't stay there. Yeah. It has to come away for the air to get through. So I have them continue to push the air and just do this with their tongue. And I'll make them do it for like 10 minutes. They'd be like, move me with my tongue tired. Good. It means you're doing it right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a little bit of a rough teacher sometimes, but they'll get it. And then it becomes consistent. Like as long as they practice it, it becomes consistent. So those are probably the two biggest thing, tone and tonguing when it comes to being a beginner. Right. Now I was advised um, when I was composing for wind ensemble and orchestra by my teacher, go be conservative on repeated notes for clarinets. So it's like, um, it, and then soon after that, I heard Mendelssohn's Italian Symphony for the first time. And I was thinking, I bet clarinets don't really like that. <laughs> no. Yep. <laughs> excerpts we try to avoid but when it right. comes to orchestral auditions we're, we're we don't have a choice <laughs> right is that one that pops up the italian symphony uh, well the, Mid- Mendel- the scherzo the mendelssohn scherzo oh pops up. yeah Yeah, that's that's one that pops up all the time, and it and it actually is a struggle depending on how fast 
the orchestra director takes it or the maestro takes it Ooh. and it's also based on the flute solo right so that flute player wants to fly you better be ready yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you better be ready or else you might end up with a little bit of slobber right here <laughs> towards the end of it <laughs> so yeah but yeah there are a lot of excerpts um even beethoven six uh, where they want us to be delicate with the tonguing and for somehow make it through that whole excerpt without breathing. <laughs> There's actually a trick in there where the clarinet player can breathe because the orchestra has a downbeat, but I guess nobody teaches that. Maybe that's my personal opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in the auditions, they expect the whole thing, one breath, and you're tonguing and you're pushing so much air and then you're trying to lighten up at the end and it's just like, I don't have any more air left. <laughs> right. So, but there are a lot of tonguing excerpts that are very difficult um, for clarinet players. Right. So um, let's talk about, we, we've mentioned Reed a few times, the Reed. Um, and, and I, and I remember like cracking a Reed and <laughs> you know, the, you, you've got to keep it wet and so forth. <laughs> right. Uh, but let's just talk about, taking care of your instrument and also like, you know, shopping for reeds and taking care of it and getting the most out of your clarinet. Yes. Um, for reeds. Okay. So I'm very picky about reeds. Okay. I am not a fan of a lot of them, mm -hmm. uh, especially, you know, if we go back to talking about beginners, yeah. I'm not going to name any reeds names, just, that I don't like just so I don't hurt their feelings. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there have been times where I'm just like, why do you, why do you sound so edgy? You know, and that's something you never want to sound like on a clarinet. You don't want to sound like you're on edge all the time while you're playing, you know? Um, reeds are important and the size of the reeds are important. Um, they, you can start on a two. Mm-hmm. And reeds can get as hard as five and a half. I think there's even sixes. I could be making that up, but I I know someone told me that they had knew someone that played on a six. Maybe mm. they were making that up. But the harder the reed does not necessarily make it better for the player. Mm -hmm. I have encountered high school students trying to play on a four and a half and they sound airy and just because they know that someone else plays on a certain size read they're like oh if I play on this size read I'll sound good too that's not the case mm -hmm. um you and and that that brings me to the setup the mouthpiece that mm -hmm. you play on and the type of read that you use now I will say this name mm -hmm. I am a Van Doren fan. Yep. Like wholeheartedly a Van Doren fan and specifically a V12 fan. Mm -hmm. I love V12 reads, which comes in the silver box. Mm -hmm. They also have V21s. They got V56s. They got the regular blue box Van Dorens. They have V16s for saxophone. You know, it's, it, it can go for days like the different brand that Van Doren has. But I specifically use V12s, especially for my students. Um, a lot of them, I have introduced them to V56. I've introduced them to V21. Um, 
it just depends on the type of tone that you're going for, the type of mouthpiece that you have and how that reed works on the mouthpiece itself. So, um, and, you know, size does matter as far as ease of playing. You also don't want to be sitting in an orchestra blowing your brains out on whole notes or half notes if you don't have to. So, um, but for example, I go in um, between three and a half plus, sometimes a four, depending on how I feel for the day. Uh, and then sometimes just playing three and a half. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, it's about the control of the airflow on the setup that you're playing on. Another thing is uh, reeds do change due to weather. So right. this comes back to the whole squeaky thing. <laughs> right. It, yes. It, it, weather affects reeds because um, one question I like to ask my students is, what is a reed made of? <laughs> and the first thing they go is wood. Yep. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's made of cane. So then they go, oh, yes, it's made of cane. It's not made of wood. Now, if you want a piece of wood, you can go get a stick and slap that on there and see if it works. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, yeah, it's uh, the, the, the cane adjusts depending on if it's hot outside or if it's cold outside. Right. And uh, there are tips and tricks. Like I'll say if a reed is too soft, you can move it up on the mouthpiece a little bit the reed is too hard move it down a little bit um other than that line the reed up directly with the tip of the mouthpiece so um little other tricks if a reed is too stiff you don't have to throw it in the garbage right. i've seen people do that and like, oh this reed doesn't work uh, well let's work on fixing it you know you can shave down the tip i have a lot of my students this is one easy trick if a reed is stiff, just take your thumb and flex the middle of the reed because that's where the stiffness is coming from. It's the yeah. thickest part of the reed. Yeah. So it's got air bubbles that's causing it to be stiff. So if you flex it out, then it's good. Right. Um, so just like little different reed things, you know, sometimes you can soak it in warm water. And then um, if a reed feels too rough on your chin, you know, I tell them to just take a sheet of paper, rip a sheet of paper, not preferably something that you're working on. <laughs> take a piece of paper, rip it, and then rub a regular piece of paper on the top of the reed to flatten out the air bubbles and to smooth the reed out. So there's a, a lot of different tricks that you can do for reeds. And yes, they are expensive, which is why I teach these tricks so that people can learn to make their reeds last. Def definitely my students to save their parents money. Yeah. Um, not right. saying that I haven't encountered middle schoolers that look like they had a snack on their reed. And I'm like, what happened to your reed? Did you get hungry in class? You know, <laughs> you know, that's what it looks like they did. And then they wonder why they can't play notes right and chirping all over the place and i'm like because your read looks like you were hungry <laughs> let's change that <laughs> so <laughs> now on that note i do see a lot of clarinetists um i haven't noticed like if it's as common among professionals but you know just with the read in their mouth a few minutes before they're ready to play it just i guess to moisture you know just to get the read wet mm -hmm. so, yeah, yeah um which is the fun thing they don't taste great no <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> don't have mint flavored uh, reeds or <laughs> you know they did have actual flavored reeds and they should have never done that <laughs> ever <laughs> it was the worst thing i actually tried one it was like grape flavored i'm like this is horrible 
Like, why would you do this? But they sold. I don't, I don't know how. But um, <laughs> yes, they they're they don't taste the greatest. But we do have to wet them. Some people maybe prefer to carry like a little container with water and they dip it in there and suck it off. Um, I I don't normally walk around with my reed in my mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like there's a little bit too much moisture sometimes mm. like as long as the reed is wet enough mm-hmm. it will react um i feel like sometimes if a reed is too wet it can make the reed sound spitty yeah um, it can make it sound airy because you applied a little bit too much moisture because as you play the reed's going to be moist anyway especially on the other side where all of our wonderful spittle is going through <laughs> so um or condensation is what <laughs> what what one person corrected me one time on so um but yes the the wetness of the reed is very important you should never play on a dry reed ever mm-hmm. um um and uh you know like the little reed tricks that i just talked about will help as far as clearing up tone quality as well with a reed you should never throw a reed away not unless it's just terrible okay but most of the time you can fix them right so at what point in a student's development if they say i'd like to try the e-flat clarinet or the bass clarinet we'll just pick those for now uh at what point do you do do you say okay let's try that and i guess by what means can they do that unless they go to a school that has one you know because i because i know like obviously i don't think anybody will be surprised the bass clarinet's more expensive than a regular clarinet but they might be surprised the e-flat clarinet is probably more expensive too even though it's smaller or it can be just because it's demand i guess supply and demand but Mm -hmm. yes e-flat clarinet actually is very expensive yeah. Um, to be the smallest um, right. it's it's probably just mainly like you said the parts just you know if they're gonna really break out that sterling silver keys for the little baby you know <laughs> um, but uh, switching a student to E flat clarinet normally doesn't happen until high school mm-hmm. um, bass clarinet is probably the one instrument that students seem to lean towards just because they think it's cool because it's bigger um the it's normally up to the teacher if they feel like the student is capable of switching at a certain time but most of the time when they start i would say maybe the last few years of middle school uh teachers will let certain students try bass clarinet right e flat clarinet is never thought of in middle school it's just not gonna happen right (laughs) but when they get to high school most high schools do try to have these what we call utility instruments available mainly because 11th and 12th graders start playing those more often than the 9th and 10th graders um I have students that have copied me just because they know what I, what I do and they always want to try. And I, I never am against students trying anything at any age. Yeah. Um, I had a, a eighth grader that tried both 
my B flat and E flat, like I said before COVID. Um, <laughs> um, and I had extra mouthpieces and all that stuff. And he sounded great on both of them. And then he was interested in playing both of them. And um, I always let them explore the feeling of another clarinet just because I know they see me do it. They see me throw instruments left and right like an octopus. You know, they're just like, ooh, I want to do that too. And I start them with, you know, the different clarinets first before I will switch them to saxophone or something like that, you know. And, but for bass, bass clarinet is normally my first go-to when it comes to trying a new clarinet. And um, a lot of times I'll back up and then I'll say, okay, well, you play B-flat clarinet, try this A clarinet. Now, oftentimes you get the, I don't like this, <laughs> because it's a weird, it's a weird stretch, you know, yeah. a little bit longer. And I was like, but you like bass clarinet? They're like, that's different, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so um, trying all of the instruments, I start to, around eighth grade or so, introduce the different clarinets. I'll show it to them. I'll let them you know, feel what it feels like as long as they don't drop it, <laughs> you know, and um, uh, bass clarinet, I'll let them actually blow a couple of notes. I always have like a few extra mouthpieces that I keep on me when I introduce bass clarinet just so they can try to play on it. Um, but those are kind of the first few and really shouldn't be an age limit. And I guess for me, once they start playing the clarinet well, yeah, and I mean well, yeah, is when I'm saying, okay, maybe you could try this because you have enough technique on the B flat clarinet that is okay for me to show you bass clarinet or E flat clarinet. Yeah. Um, now, if they pick up something on their own outside of me teaching lessons, then fine. You know, I have one student that is she's playing everything and. Um, she French horn trumpet, but she's at schoolyards now for clarinet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but she plays saxophone, flute, like she she picks up everything. She even plays violin, piano. So mm -hmm. I mean, it's 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 that love of music really is what I try to instill in them. So when it comes to uh, moving them around the clarinets, I'm always happy to do that because that opens up their mind to other options and even more love for music right um one of the interject while i'm thinking of it some some more notes for composers and arrangers anybody orchestrating if you're in a concert band or wind ensemble you know the the difference between that and an orchestra is that there's no string instruments and the clarinet fam kind of replaces the strings in that setting it's like so uh, the, i mean the concert master is a clarinet <laughs> you know in, yeah. in setting and i don't know that there's like as many different i mean if there's a whole lot of more different parts it may be like three or four parts but you double uh you know a lot is the way i understand it um but when it comes to an orchestra you know you your standard is three clarinets but of course you know your bigger symphonies might have more but if i'm not mistaken it's your third player that's the versatile one. It's like your third player w might switch to the the bass clarinet. Yes, and mainly that's when they that's that's when they say utility instrument. Right. And we and 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 the most of the time in a 
in a big orchestra setting, if there's an E flat clarinet and a bass clarinet, it would be probably the third and the fourth player. The first and second player, you know, you got your principal first. Yeah. Then you got your second clarinet player. And most of the time, if there is an E flat clarinet player in the piece, there is a bass clarinet player too. Normally, specialists, people that are specialized in those instruments, get those parts. Right. And that's um, all the way up down the woodwinds. It's like it's your third yes. flutist that plays piccolo, it's your third oboist that plays English horn, and your third bassoonist that gets the contrabassoon. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's like, um, especially like Ravel. Yeah, all of his all of his stuff, you know, uh, even if you're doing ballet, um, Nutcracker and they they have really important parts and they may not necessarily last that long, but it'd be, you know, like the E flat clarinet player playing the jokester in a symphony, you know. And why is that always a thing? Like, can we ever be serious on E flat? Why we always got to be the jokester? Right. right. <laughs> and then, you know, the bass clarinet has always got this, you know, really intense bass clarinet solo that's supposed to rumble everything and um and then, you know, of course the clarinet, the regular clarinet players, you know, they're just chilling out over there playing beautiful melodies. <laughs> so, uh yeah, it's it they're they're fun parts to play and um I've even been called in, you know, like Shostakovich fifth you know, to, to, you know, just fill in. And that was actually recent um, for UNCSA. Uh, Orchestra, when they did Shostakovich 5th, and they called me to come play E flat and I'm like I've already played this solo once it's torturous <laughs> you know and then so uh when I, I told uh, my other friend you know E flat clarinet even in Daphnis and Chloe when Maestro Zinnaker was there yeah and um you uh Ride of Spring bass mm-hmm. clarinet solo and E flat clarinet stuff in that you know just craziness you know and it, I told my friend I was like yeah that was the first E flat clarinet solo I ever had to play in orchestra and I was like call it E flat clarinet hazing <laughs> <laughs> because it's like what is this you know but uh, those parts can be really really challenging um in orchestras like very challenging and you know we have to practice those excerpts just as much as we practice beethoven and brahms you know right so um just looking at uh you know the remaining topics and just the time i i definitely want to spend some time on on some repertoire so let's just talk about just how you want to organize this milestones like you know what are what are a handful of pieces for the clarinet as a solo, whether that means like the piano accompaniment or, you know, something that, that clarinets can learn, like what would be the easiest one you'd recommend? Like this is, this is good to shoot for what's the next level up and what's a little harder than that. Um, That's a good question. Um, Most of the uh pieces that I would probably choose, I would definitely say if you're serious, um, 
about playing there are simplified versions of things yeah um they have like these solo books where it's like it is the mozart but it's not like the mozart right but um what i like to do is when i notice the students getting serious i will give them the actual mozart right the real one and Weber, mm -hmm. any of the Vabers. Yeah. Weber is like, if you're a clarinet player and you haven't played a Weber piece, you may not want to major in clarinet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It's just the, these are just standards. Both the Brahms sonatas with piano. Yeah. Um, the, these are just kind of standards that you want to know. Rossini introduction theme variations, right. and I feel like all of these strengthen the the your counting, right, and your scale techniques. Mm -hmm. And that is the reason why I choose a lot of these because, I mean, we say practice your scales, practice your scales. Students look at us crazy. I'm like, well, if you played this piece and you knew what scale that was, you wouldn't have to read it note for note, you know, <laughs> it's like, right. you know, I, you know, and, um, you know, it's just a, a building, building technique um, with scales and arpeggios, even though it's a concerto, it's still scales and arpeggios. Mm -hmm. So um, those are big, big to do pieces that, um, have a lot of that in there especially diminished chords all this stuff that you know should be a basic finger pattern that should be up here for the rest of your life right you know which um you know i tell them if you can play this you'd be able to play pretty much anything you know but learn your scales <laughs> now uh clarinetists get a lot of opportunities to play in chamber music obviously they're a key instrument in uh woodwind quintet or woodwind quartet but there's also plenty of pieces like you mentioned Brahms like he's a very famous clarinet quintet which is clarinet and strings what are some of your favorite or most recommended chamber pieces with clarinet I like the weird stuff, so I do like the Prokofiev. I absolutely love the Weber Quintet. Um, I love the Brahms Quintet, but, and I hope clarinet players don't hate me for saying this, I love the first movement. It's my favorite movement. I stop. I normally stop right there. I'm I'm done with the rest of it. Um, <laughs> um, I the Brahms trio, same thing. Love his first movement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with clarinet, and then, I mean it doesn't necessarily mean it's like all like strings. Like um, uh, Charles and I um for my last recital, Charles Charlie Charlie Schaefer, mm -hmm. um, we played the Bartok clarinet, mm -hmm. violin, piano. Thank you. 
uh, and just like the Brahms trio is clarinet, cello, piano. Um, so there's so many. I like playing with strings, yeah. just in general. And most people that have come to any of my recitals know that because there's always some sort of clarinet and string something that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, uh, another one, there is a Mozart mm-hmm. uh, string um, for clarinet and strings. There are so many, so many, um, I guess I would say newly written pieces yeah. that um, people haven't really explored. Um, I've started exploring some of those things. Um, and, you know, as far as like, there's even clarinet chamber music quartets. Yeah. Like the ool the is an excellent one. Mm. Um, I don't think there's been one point where I've played in that quartet and I haven't played at least one of those parts in, in right. it. Um, so, but definitely chamber music, especially playing in a woodwind quintet is absolutely joyful. You know, like, it's just like, oh, woodwinds, except for the horn, which is still a woodwind in this group. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there are some great pieces that, you know, to open the minds of clarinet players, and I know we get stuck on the standards, but you have things that are written by like Scott McAllister, like um, Black Dog. Uh, X Concerto, like there's some good stuff out there. Um, uh, things like Rigoletto, um, which is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, Rossini is a great one. Yeah. Um, there's um, so many things like, I mean, what, Francais is hard, but mm-hmm. Francais clarinet concerto is great. Mm-hmm. A lot of people love the Nielsen clarinet concerto. Yeah, I played it. It's fine, I guess. Um, (laughs) It's really long. Let me just say it like that. So if I'm going to be on stage, I don't think I want to stay on stage for 45 minutes. Um, (laughs) But um, uh, some concertos have movements. Some concertos are through composed, you know, where you just play straight through. Um, uh, Anything theme and variations can pretty much I would say that the clarinet probably has an orchestra part, orchestra parts to it. Um, Theme and variations, just because we like to show off our fingers. Right. So those are some good ones. Okay. I'll, I'll offer just my personal favorites, you know, for clarinet. So my, uh, I've, and I've heard a lot of clarinets agree with me on this, but the Gerald Finzi clarinet concerto is a really lovely piece. And I really like that one. Also, I think Aaron Copeland's my favorite work for him is Concerto for Clarinet with the that was written for Benny Goodman. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And he yes. was terrified. Uh, and of that, it. That, is a, that is actually a standard. Actually, um, yeah. that it's the big cadenza, and um, that's a big thing for that. Before we get all into the jazz half.
Um, but I kind of like what Eddie Daniels did with it. Oh, yeah. And he changed the cadenza completely. He just went into a whole rhythm section and straight improv and then came back in with the concerto. <laughs> but uh, the opening is is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, yes. Eddie Daniels, I heard a track by him one time that that truly blew my mind because, you know, as a pianist, I know the Solfezietto by C.P.E. Bach, and he plays it on clarinet. Yes. And yes. Then, and then the jazz band comes in and he does a jazz version of it. <laughs> yes. Uh yes. I've been listening to that for years. It's like yep. one of my favorites. Um, I actually have his transcription of it. Um, but yeah, he he uh it, it does actually um blow your mind. <laughs> listening to him do that on clarinet and then just straight like okay now i'm gonna jazz it up a little bit and then he goes back into it but um yeah he did uh his version of copeland was absolutely mind-blowing so if you find that recording like i'm pretty sure you would enjoy that too um and um what other piece did you did you do like oh yeah is it the gerald finzi the gerald finzi Mm -hmm. concerto and then of course it's not clarinet featured but you know, we're talking about chamber music one of my all-time favorite chamber pieces is the poulenc piano quintet or piano sextet yes yeah. like I, i've never played that i want to <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah so that's we should do it together we should find some people let's do it <laughs> yeah um okay so here's a question i didn't ask you in advance but related to repertoire w- name at least one composer that you probably don't know unless you play clarinet, but should know. Hmm. That's a good one. Or or if not clar if not clarinet, a woodwind instrument. Because I like I know that flutes have like Robert Muchinsky. There's always composers like that that kind of they didn't write they don't they didn't write music that's well known to casual classical fans. But if you play that instrument, you probably know. Uh, I would probably say if you play clarinet, you will probably be familiar with Luigi Bossi. Hmm. Um, because a lot of his works are um, very theme and variation based, yeah. but he does write for clarinet off of operas. Right. So, for example, when I said Rigoletto, that was written by Luigi Bossi, but he also did um, La Traviata. Mm -hmm. uh clarinet theme and variations and um so i don't know how much writing he's done for other instrument but i know that those are like classics for clarinet players um that like a lot of fingery work just about reached the end uh i definitely want to give you an opportunity to, to just let people know where where can they follow you find more about you or inquire about lessons my main ones that you can find me on um i am on facebook mm-hmm. um it's just my name kania mills yeah um and the other one uh i have instagram yep so that's under woodwind crazy 
because a reminder that I do play more than one. Right. <laughs> so it's under Woodwind Crazy. Yeah. Um, and the other one, I started a TikTok. Yeah. Like everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's at Kania Mills, or if you look for Woodwind Crazy and Art Crazy. So I'm, I also do art. I'm an artist. So yeah, it's a combination of multiple things on my page. You get your art, you get your music. You might get clarinet, you might get saxophone, you might get paintings. So, you know, if you want to follow my page, you're going to have to stick with both. I know a lot of people separate things out and, you know, people think one way and this is this is what I do, but it's basically like yeah. a blog of everything I do. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, I know that's something that you've grown and gotten more into the last few years, but you have like, you have a whole series of characters you've kind of developed, you know, in, in your art. So, and it's, uh, it's, it's nice to see you share that. And, and then of course you, you have videos of like lessons with your students and working on things. And yes. that's great. So, all right. Well, um, go ahead and let you go, but thank you. I know it's good to chat with you again on a different subject, but uh, mm-hmm. thank you for chatting with me today. You're very welcome. Thank you. And that wraps up episode 18. Just want to let you know if you go check out the show notes, there are three TikTok videos that Kania has shared that you can go um, check out her playing some chamber music. You can check out her playing. Um, one of the Weber concertos that we mentioned. And also you can see her, uh, more of that video that we shared at the very beginning of her working with a section. She also, you can explore besides her artwork. She has several excerpts from some lessons and you can learn more about the clarinet. Now, if you have a question about the clarinet that we didn't address in this issue, or if you have some recommended pieces that, that feature the clarinet, You can send me a direct message on any of the social media platforms where you find David Lane and the Musician Toolkit. Uh, That is David Lane Music on Instagram and TikTok, David M. Lane Music on Facebook, or through the contact form at my website, davidlanemusic.com. If it's a question that you would like to have considered for being featured on this podcast in a future episode, then you can leave a voice message at speakpipe.com slash toolkit. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash toolkit. Okay, I want to let you know that next week is a two-episode week. I have what I think is the shortest episode that I've done so far on this podcast coming out on Monday. It's just a really a short episode about, about practice. It's just a single tip. Then I have a long interview episode, special episode coming out on Thursday. So that's episodes 19 and 20, both coming out next week. If you don't want to miss anything, make sure that you are subscribed somewhere on a podcast app, wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you're on YouTube, make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell for notifications, because it will also be on there on YouTube at David Lane Music One. As a reminder, if you have a private studio of any kind, check out the free trial that Fonz offers to help you with your admin. It's in also in my show notes. And last but not least, please share this episode with a friend, anybody you know that would be interested in anything about the clarinet or in musicianship in general. And if you haven't already, if you do find value in this podcast, 
I would love it if you would be willing to offer a five-star rating and review, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you're on YouTube, please click the thumbs up on this video. Thank you once again for listening, and I will see you twice next week.